Hello and welcome to the We're All Stories podcast. Stories are who we are and what we leave behind after we go. I hope you enjoy this one I put together for you today. Welcome back to medieval France, where we left off last time. Charlemagne and the bulk of the French army had left Spain, passing over the Pyrenees back into France. While a small group of 20,000 French chevaliers, led by Roland, nephew to the king, were left guarding the rear when a massive Saracen host appears, intent on killing Roland, which they believe is the key to ending the French desire for conquest and would bring dishonor and defeat to the seemingly invincible armies of Charlemagne. Aelroth, nephew to Marcel, is at the fore of the advance guard of 100,000 men. He had requested the honor of leading the charge and to be the one to strike Roland down. He chooses 12 companions to match against the 12 peers of France. He hurls out insults at Roland and the French, telling them they have been betrayed, that Charlemagne must have been crazy to have left them behind. Their loss will bring dishonor to France and will cripple the French army. Roland is pained by this, knowing it is his fault there in these dire straits. But he does not acknowledge these insults with words of his own. His only response to this taunting is to drive his steed into a full charge. His lance smashes right through the enemy's shield, ripping through his armor to plunge into the body of Aelroth. Cleaving his breast, he severs all the bones. And from the spine, the ribs disjoint, the lance. Forth from his body thrusts, the pagan's soul. The heathen's corpse reels from his horse, falls down upon the earth. The neck cloven in two halves. Then he responds to the insults that had been thrown at him in his charge, yelling at the lifeless body on the ground, saying, Go, thou wretch, and know, Charles was not mad, ne'er did he treason love, and he did well to leave us in this pass. Today, sweet France will not her honor lose. Strike, Frenchmen, strike! The first sword stroke is ours. We have the right, these gluttons have the wrong. Seeing his nephew killed, Balsaroon, brother to the king, charges at Roland to take his revenge. This guy is huge. How huge was he? He was so huge that the space between his eyes measured a full half a foot. Today, he cries, at last, sweet France shall lose her fame. Roland meets his charge and in similar fashion lays him low, yelling, Wretch, to me thy threats are vain. Strike boldly, Franks. The victory shall be ours. Monjoy! There is a Berber king named Corsablus surveying the field. He turns to his men and tells them they have already won. 
The French just don't know it yet. Turpon, the Archbishop, hears this and charges at Corsablis, killing him in a single blow in front of his watching men. The battle continues in this fashion as one by one the twelve peers meet their counterparts from the Saracen Horde against them, each slaying his foe in a single mighty blow. Roland himself strikes fifteen such mighty blows with his lance before it shatters and he draws his sword, the mighty Durandal. Likewise, Oliver is casting about him, killing men by the hundreds with the shattered stump of his lance. Roland sees him and yells across the battlefield, What are you doing? Draw your sword! Oliver yells back that he hasn't had time because he was too busy winning. But he takes a second and draws his sword, Halteclair. Then sets to striking even harder than before, his first blow cutting a person in two as if his armor were made of paper, passing right through him, through his saddle, cutting both man and beast in two. Roland says, see, that's better. Now that's what I'm talking about. This continues on for some time with the French defeating their foes. All who meet them on the field are killed. Only those that flee from the front survive. In the back and forth between the two sides, the French too are losing men. Men they can ill afford to lose as heavily outnumbered as they are. Meanwhile, back in France, a horrible storm assails the land with rain and hail pelting everything. The thunder so loud that every wall of every house in the land is shaken. The clouds are so thick and dark they block out all light. The French cower in their homes, crying that the end of days is upon them. Little do they know, it is the sign of Roland's demise. The battle rages on, the French tearing into the Saracen army, so not two out of 100,000 now survive. Just when it seemed like things were looking up for the French. Like they may actually win the day. Marcel arrives with the main force of his Saracen army, all fresh and eager to avenge their fallen. Seeing this vast host, the French are terrified, screaming for Roland and the Twelve Peers to save them. The Archbishop calms them, reminding them of why they are fighting. Their courage renewed, they stand firm. A Saracen Lord named Clymerin charges ahead, striking and killing Angelier de Gascon. He becomes the first of the Twelve Peers to fall. Oliver rushes in to avenge him, killing Clymerin and nine others besides. Next comes Valdebrun. He is a pagan master of ships, who it is said took Jerusalem by treachery and desecrated the Temple of Solomon. 
Are you starting to see why some view this as a parallel to the Crusades? Especially when you remember that in real life, this attack was revenge carried out by the Basque people, not an underhanded sneak attack by the Muslims. He charges in and kills Duke Sansom, whom Roland rushes in to avenge. Just as they had done in the beginning to their enemies, so are the Twelve now one by one defeated. But Roland stands firm, killing all around him. Fearing they will lose, Marcel signals to send in the reserves, and the battle is renewed with fresh troops from Spain. Seeing this, the Archbishop charges in alone, slaying several of the enemy of note. Roland and Oliver rush in to help their friend, and what is left of the French army follows suit, inspired by the bravery of those leaders they had left. It is said this small band slew 4,000 of the enemy, beating them back to retreat four times, but on the fifth charge they are killed to a man. So only Roland, Oliver, and the Archbishop Turpin remained to fight. Roland looks around him, seeing all his friends and companions, brave Frenchmen slain. He begins to feel disheartened. He looks to Oliver, saying he wishes Charlemagne and his armies were here to fight with them so that all these men did not have to die. He asks Oliver what they should do to warn their king and fellow countrymen of the danger of attack. Oliver, stand-up guy that he is, didn't even give him an I told you so or some sarcastic reply. Instead, he says, I don't know, but it is better for us to die than to face dishonor. Now to be fair, as I said before, this was written hundreds of years after the fact, so who knows what was really said. I know, if it were me, I probably would have been like, oh gee, if only someone had told you before to signal for help. But anyway. Roland suddenly remembers he has his horn and is like, hey, I've got a great idea. Why don't I blow my horn to signal the king to send reinforcements? But surprisingly, Oliver is against this. These two have switched positions. Now Roland wants to call for help and Oliver is like, look. I told you to call for help from the beginning, but you chose this instead. If we call for help now, we will only bring dishonor on ourselves and our families. The two literally stop and sit there arguing with each other back and forth for a while before the Archbishop comes up and knocks their heads together like a pair of little kids and chastises them. He tells them they are both right. Yes, it is too late for Charlemagne to help them, Oliver but they should still call him in to avenge them and to save France from a Spanish attack. Sheepishly, at least I imagine, the two make nice and Roland sounds his oliphant with every fiber of his being. He blows the oliphant so hard that blood pours from his mouth and his temples burst, mortally wounding him. Charlemagne hears it all the way in his home and is like, I hear a horn. The rear guard must be in trouble. 
Ganelon is right there saying, Nope, I don't hear anything. You're probably just imagining it. Roland just keeps blowing his horn so loud and hard that all can hear it. Charlemagne is like, wait a second, there it is again, that's Roland calling for help. Ganelon is like, nope, that can't be it. Roland is too prideful to ask for help. Nope. Probably just him and his buddies are off sporting, chasing down some hare in the woods and having fun. Nothing to worry your kingly little head about. What he actually said to his king and emperor, the great and mighty Charlemagne, is this. No fight is there. You, sire, are old. Your hair and beard are all bestrewn with gray, and as a child, your speech. Not exactly the words of humble respect one would expect when addressing a king. Meanwhile, Roland is still blowing that thing for all he's worth. One of Charlemagne's other dukes is like, wow, that is one long blast from that horn. Roland must be in trouble. Now others were hearing it too. It wasn't just in his head. When Ganelon continues to persuade the king that it is nothing, Charlemagne becomes suspicious. Something is afoot. If Roland is sounding his horn, they must be in huge trouble. The wheels in the king's mind start turning. If Roland was in trouble, why was Ganelon trying to get him to stay home? And who was it who volunteered Roland for the rear guard to begin with? Well, that was Ganelon too, and... Wasn't it Ganelon who met with Marcel and got the French army to withdraw back into France? Suddenly, it all clicks into place. The king looks at Ganelon with new eyes, unclouded by deception. This had all been a trap. Luring the Franks back over the Pyrenees, isolating Roland, cutting him off from aid so he could be ambushed and killed. The king calls his army together and signals the advance, back to the pass, and Roland in all haste. The horns of the French, the French horns if you will, answering the call of Roland's oliphant. Charlemagne, after getting his posse together and preparing to march, has the kitchen staff. Not sure why he chose the kitchen staff, maybe because he wanted all his fighting men with him to save Roland? has, the kitchen staff sees Ganelon. They pluck out his beard and mustache one hair at a time. Then all 100 of them give him four blows each. Then they really start in on him, with lashes and sticks beating him. Then, they put a chain and collar around his neck like an animal and lead him around like this. Charlemagne charges through the mountains with all haste. Each of his men weeping with concern for Roland and fear for his well-being. 
We'll be right back after these messages. Ever listened to a podcast and thought, hey, I bet I could do that, but then wonder how to go about it? I know I did. Then I found Buzzsprout.com. Buzzsprout gave me all the tools I needed to succeed and sound great. By starting a free account, I was able to publish my work and they even got me connected to all the major podcast directories. By upgrading to a paid account, I was able to keep more content on there and I got access to their aptly named Magic Mastering Tool. Your material is run automatically through this program which balances the individual segments so it all sounds the same throughout and flows smooth. This is a must if you're recording in segments. If you use the link in the description, you'll get a $20 Amazon gift card for signing up for a paid membership. If you're passionate about something, get out there, share it, and let Buzzsprout do the rest. Make sure to check out our Patreon page. When you donate to this podcast, not only are you showing your support, but you are also getting access to special notes, polls to help pick future episodes and merch, as well as recipes to go along with the episodes. So check it out. And now, when you pledge $25 a month, we will send you your very own Raven's Wing mug. Follow the link in the show notes to take a look. And now, back to the show. Roland takes a last look around the field, seeing his companions laying there still. He offers up a prayer for their souls, then turns and rejoins the battle joined by his surviving companions. He charges in, killing 25 men single-handedly right off the bat, yelling, No Quarter! Roland and friends knew there was no chance for them that no quarter would be given. So, with nothing left to lose, their backs to the wall, they set about, determined to take as many with them as they could. Marcille charges in and kills several Frenchmen. Never mind that there were only three left just a little bit ago. This is epic poetry, not an encyclopedia. Maybe if you really want to make sense of it, those three were the only three left of the Twelve Peers. Similar to how only the 300 Spartans are typically counted among all those that fought at Thermopylae. Or maybe some had held back instead of joining the Archbishop's charge. Regardless, there are more French soldiers fighting and dying. Then, along comes Roland like an avenging wind, charging through the Saracen ranks. He cuts off Marcille's hand before beheading the king's son. This causes Marcille to flee the field, running for his life. Seeing their king fleeing the battle, many of his men likewise turn tail and run. Then, 
Yet again, when it seemed like the French would drive them back, Marcille's uncle, Marganis, charges in with 50,000 fresh troops. Seeing these reinforcements, Roland calls it. Okay, boys, it's been great knowing you, but this is the end. But still, we will take as many of them with us as we can. Roland curses anyone who does not give it their all. He wants to see them give 110%. He wants to see some hustle. When Charlemagne arrives with the French army to avenge them, he wants the king and his men to see that they sold themselves dearly, each of them taking at least 15 with them. The Saracen force, seeing this small handful of Frenchmen charging at them, are filled with pride and comfort. Marganese charges in and runs Oliver through from behind. Oliver knows his death blow has been struck, but he will not go so quietly. He swings his sword halt to Claire at his assailant's head, killing him. He then sets about swinging his sword wildly about him, killing anyone who gets too close, as his life's blood drains out of him. With his failing breath, he calls to Roland for aid alternating calling for his friend and shouting Montjoy, the battle cry of Charlemagne's army. When Roland arrives at his friend's side, seeing the state he is in, he mourns the loss of his friend and swoons. A brief note on swooning. To the medieval French chevalier, passion was celebrated as a core aspect of chivalry. So, grand displays of passion were the height of fashion among the knights. That is why we frequently see these hardened warriors moved to tears, openly weeping and swooning in an excess of passion. This is a very common occurrence throughout the narrative. Back to the story. At this point, Oliver is beyond his last legs. His vision gone, he flails about blindly. Sensing someone drawing near, he lashes out at his opponent's head, not realizing it's his friend Roland. The blow cuts through Roland's helmet, but lacks the strength to wound. Being unhurt. Roland comes up beside his friend and tells him it is he who stands before him. Oliver says he hears his voice but cannot see him, and he knows he never will again. Oliver turns his unseeing eyes to heaven. He confesses his sins and begs God to bless his king and country, but most of all, his true friend Roland. And with that, he slumps forward on the ground, still at last, 
to breathe no more. Seeing his friend laying there, Roland weeps and sobs openly on the battlefield to the point where he swoons again upon his horse. But his golden stirrups hold him in place so he cannot fall off to the hard, blood-soaked ground below. When Roland comes to, there is only himself, the Archbishop, and a man named Gualtier whom he had sent away into the mountains to guard the flank. With all of his men slain, the man had returned to his leader, there to make their last stand together. The man calls to Roland. He is dying and scared, pierced by eight darts. Yet he calls to Roland because he said he could never be afraid in the presence of Roland, his hero. Roland rushes to meet Gualtier and Terpon. The three of them stand against 1,000 foot soldiers and 40,000 horsemen. They hold them back so no one dares to draw near. Instead, the Saracen men hurl darts and spears and javelins at them, firing arrows at the three companions. Gualtier falls first, then the Archbishop Terpon. His horse shot out from under him. He falls, transfixed by four spears. Yet the man picks himself up off the ground, saying it's not over as long as he draws breath, and he charges against his enemies. His sword all mace, drawn, he deals out more than a thousand blows, the Archbishop left more than 400 bodies in his wake. Exhausted, near to death, Roland blows a final feeble call on his horn. Charlemagne and his men hear it and gallop with all haste to try and reach Roland alive knowing that with how feeble the call was, he must be near the end. They sound their trumpets in answer as they race to reach him. Hearing the French charge, the Spanish army is taken aback. They cannot win against Charlemagne and the full strength of his army. But they have been convinced by Ganelon that if Roland is left alive, they will lose Spain. So they resolve to kill him quickly and make their getaway before the French army can reach them. They get together a group of 400 of their elite, charged with the single task to bring Roland down. Roland, for his part, charges in after his friend, the Archbishop Terpon. When he catches up to him, he sees him charging on foot. 
You will remember his horse was killed in that initial barrage of missiles which took Gualtier. Roland dismounts to fight beside his friends so they might share each other's fate. The Saracen army at this point is freaking out. Charlemagne is just around the corner now and Roland has killed so many of them that they think no mortal can push him back. Someone says we should have just shot him from a distance. To which someone else says, yeah, why didn't I think of that? Only, we just did that, remember? It didn't work. His shield and armor were damaged by the attack, but he emerged unscathed. In terror, the enemy flees before Roland. But being now without his horse, Roland does not give chase. Instead, he rushes to the side of Turpon, who is mortally wounded. Seeing his friend is about to die, Roland determines to gather his comrades, the Twelve Peers, so they could all be together in death and receive blessing from the Archbishop one final time. He scours the battlefield alone, finding each of his companions and laying them in a row at the feet of Turpon. Last to be found is Olivier, his best friend. Seeing his friends all laid out like this, Roland is again overcome with grief, and he swoons. Seeing Roland so moved, the Archbishop is overwhelmed. He takes Roland's oliphant to fetch water from the stream to revive his friend. The priest takes some few shuffling steps in that direction, when his heart finally gives out. Roland comes to and sees his friend, the Archbishop, laying lifeless there some distance away. Roland makes his way weakly over to him and folds the man's bloodless hands in the form of the cross on his chest, and he prays for him, commending the priest to the God whom he had lived his whole life in service of. Feeling his own death coming nigh, Roland confesses his sins to heaven. Then, grasping his oliphant in one hand, his sword Durandal in the other, he charges after the fleeing enemy, almost lost to sight. He gets some distance when he falls in a swoon again. Nearby is a Saracen soldier who had smeared himself with blood and hid among the corpses of his comrades, playing dead. He sees Roland go down and leaps at the opportunity to seize the legendary Durandal for himself. He jumps up and rushes over to Roland's body to take the sword from his hand. This was apparently just what was needed to revive Roland, because at feeling someone trying to take his sword, he opens his eyes and smacks the guy upside the head with his oliphant so hard, helmet and head alike are crushed. He just looks at the guy and basically says, now look what he made me do. Now my oliphant is broken. 
The horn of Roland had been split in two with the force of the blow. Knowing that he is about to die, perhaps inspired by this man, trying to steal his sword while he was unconscious, Roland finds a large stone and strikes with his sword against it repeatedly in an attempt to break it, but the sword remains completely unblemished or broken. He prays to St. Mary for help. No one who is unworthy will wield this mighty blade. He tries again and still cannot damage the blade. He then tells the story of how an angel came from on high, commanding Charlemagne to present this sword to a count and valiant captain. It was then that Charlemagne presented it to Roland. Roland used this sword on many worthy adventures, winning much land and fame for his king. Again, Roland cries, calling on God to help him destroy the blade so it could never fall into the hands of the enemy to be used against Christendom. Again, he strikes the rock, shattering it, but the sword is still completely undamaged. Roland begins to realize that this sword cannot be broken. He reveals to us it is a holy object, and it contains a number of relics. A tooth from Saint-Pierre, blood from Saint-Basile, hair from Saint-Denis, and a piece of the robe of Saint-Marie. This holy sword must not be wielded by a pagan. Roland stumbles and falls, still clutching his sword and horn. He sits under a pine tree with his back braced against a stone facing Spain and his Saracen foes, he confesses his sins. As Roland relives his glory days, friends come and gone, memories good and bad, he weeps and begs God to save him from his sins. The heavens open up and the angels come to be with this fallen warrior at his time of dying. Roland offers his glove to God. It is accepted by Gabriel who has come to Roland's side, along with Raphael and Michael, to bring this brave and noble soul into heaven. With this, Roland lets himself let go his spirit, leaving his body to be borne by the heavenly retinue that had come down to claim him. At this, his mortal shell breathes its last.
the Frankish army led by Charlemagne would arrive only to see their friends, sons and brothers, dead. So many corpses there were that not an inch of ground was not covered by the slain. They would get their revenge, though, driving the fleeing Saracen army into the river Ebro. As they are unarmed, mourning and burying their dead, a second Saracen army would come, only to be driven back and dispersed. The Franks, their enemies defeated, would take Zaragoza before returning home. Ganelon would be tried for his treachery, having each of his limbs tied to a different horse. Then, each beast is goaded into a frenzy, each charging full speed in a different direction, tearing the man apart. In addition to this, 30 of Ganelon's family would hang to pay for their patriarch's crime. And that, my friends, is the Song of Roland. Everybody, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. This has been the We're All Stories podcast, a production of Ravenswing Studios. This story was researched, written, and read by me, David Huncherick. The music was written and performed by the supremely talented Brian Berger. If you liked what you heard, give us a like on whichever podcast directory you use. Doing a podcast is a real labor of love. A lot of time and effort goes into making this for you. If you would like to continue hearing new stories every two weeks, please consider supporting us through our Patreon page. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope to see you again soon.